0: Thank you, Sonia. Thank you, worship team. And uh, boy, it's really good to be able to worship with you today. And we'll return to Christ, our hope in life and death at the end of the message as we, ha- <clears throat> as we take communion together. Hopefully you received one of the little cups when you came in. If you'd not, just run to the back. They're available back there. Uh, yeah, so I want to uh, begin our study in the book of Acts by pointing you to a book that came out back in 1989. Do you remember this book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Stephen Covey, it just took the nation, the world, by storm. I, I, I was impacted by it, <clears throat> and I don't know how effective I am now, but The, the Seven Habits were incredibly important to me. In fact, as a, as a new pastor at the church where I served in Akron, the chapel there, um, this book is not written necessarily from a Christian perspective, but there are so many principles in it that apply to Scripture that I took biblical passages and superimposed them on this book and then taught a whole class on it. It's that good. But of the seven habits, the one that he, he talks about near the front of the book is this one, begin with the end in mind. Who do you want to be? Where do you want to go? Um, what do you want to be known as? Well start now preparing the way. And so he, at the very beginning of this chapter, he gives an illustration as this, visualize your own funeral. And uh, that's not something we want to picture, but just imagine yourself there in the funeral home. And he, he just colors it. He's laser, you're laid out and people walk by. And, and the question is, what do you want them to say about you as they're walking by? Or when somebody stands up and eulogizes you, what do you, what do you hope they'll say? Uh, man, I've been a part of so many funeral services over the years, and I got to tell you, I, I think most pastors will tell you that we enjoy doing funerals more than weddings because at a funeral, people are just locked in. They want to hear what you have to say about life and death and eternity. Um, one of the things, and one of the things I've noticed over the years, the most beautiful funerals are where the, the person who is deceased is spoken of as being just a humble person, an encouraging person about other people and so on. What you don't want is somebody to have to lie about you. That's a problem. And sometimes you can tell that too. Um, the good news is that all of us in this room, wherever we are in our journeys in life, we have at least one more breath left. Yeah, okay. At least one more breath left. Maybe a day, maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe a year, maybe years. Who knows? But in that time, God has an opportunity to do a work in us, bringing us more and more into the image of Jesus, which is the goal, right? That's When you become a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within. And one of his jobs is to shape the character of Christ within each of us. Now, when I, when I look through the Bible, I, there, are certain, there are certain characters in the Bible, like Joseph, like Job, like Ruth, and, and some others, I think. I, but at the end of my life, it would be great to be described like those individuals are described in Scripture. But the one we're looking at today... I hope somebody brings this up at my funeral service, right? I would love to emulate this person, have this person reflected in my life, and it's the person of Barnabas. Maybe you've studied him. I don't know. Most of what we know about Barnabas is found in the Book of Acts. He shows up in Acts chapter four. He shows up in Acts chapter nine and chapter eleven, where we are today. By the way, turn to chapter eleven if you would in your Bible or on your phone or whatever. He shows up in chapter 13, chapter 15, and so on. Barnabas is worth looking at. We're going to find out why. Now, to get at why we would want to reflect this man's character in our lives, and someday somebody even say, he was like a Barnabas, we're going to begin in chapter 11 by, first of all, learning about the city of Antioch, which is also featured in the book of Acts. And this is how it begins, starting in verse 19. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus the power of the Lord was with them and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. You see up there where it says at the top, persecution after Stephen's death. If you remember back to chapter 7, at the very end of chapter 7, Stephen, one of the, the first of the seven you know, official deacons of the church selected by the apostles, a man full of faith, a man full of integrity, he's stoned to death. He's, and, and as a result of him being stoned, a great persecution Begins as as the church is pursued by people like Saul, who became eventually the Apostle Paul. And so the, the church in Jerusalem dispersed. Somebody puts it this way it's like stepping on a tomato and watching the seeds go everywhere. And that's the way it was back then. In fact, today, and next week we'll talk a little bit more about the persecuted church, that's the way it is today. When the church is persecuted, the seeds of the gospel go everywhere. And so when when the the believers in Jerusalem were persecuted, they went everywhere with the message of Jesus Christ. And one of the places they went was Antioch. Let me show you a picture of Antioch. Jerusalem is in the south and about 300 miles to the north, you can see Antioch up there. it was the third largest city in the Greco-Roman world at that time, only behind Rome in Italy and Alexandria in Egypt. It was huge. It was, a, it was, a, it was the bustling crossroads of commerce at that time. And, you know, if you, wanted to, if you wanted to plant an idea that would go everywhere in the world, this would be the place to start. Antioch was known as a a pagan worshiping place where there were multiple Greek gods who were worshipped, but no Jesus. But now the believers, the believers from Jerusalem and other places, arrive there and the gospel is made known. And and a a miracle happens in, in Antioch. Many, many Gentiles, not Jews, but Gentiles become believers. How, they, they, they go from, from being these, these uh, 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 Greek God-worshipping individuals to a church that follows Jesus Christ. And, and as a result, it becomes a springboard, if you will, In fact, John Stott, one of my favorite pastors, authors, teachers, now deceased, he says this about Antioch. No more appropriate place than Antioch could be imagined either as the venue for the first international church or as the springboard for the worldwide Christian mission. So, you get the picture. Antioch is where it's all happening in chapter 11. They had an impact. They had an impact on the world. We'll learn more about that in chapter 13. But I want to skip a few verses down and show you one impact they had. This is what it says. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. That was Claudius Caesar, who followed terrible Caligula. He was the fourth emperor, Claudius was. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. So so this guy named Agabus, he he gets a vision. And he predicts that this famine is coming, and it does. It comes in 45 A.D. And the church jumps into action and sends relief. It it really makes me think of what we as the church try to do. You know, they say, I love this saying, just because you can't do everything doesn't mean you can't do something. And so sometimes those somethings come along. Like when the Katrina hurricane happened, we sent teams down there to help out. Or when like the tsunami happened in the Indian Ocean. We sent money over there. Or when the earthquake in Haiti happened. Or most recently, you know, the chapel sent more than $50,000 because of your generosity to, to help with the Ukrainian refugees. This is what the church does. Here's a question for you. How did that happen? How, how, how did a group of people who once worshiped a plethora of Greek gods, pagan worshipers, how did they go from being that to being Jesus' followers with a generous and benevolent spirit helping people far away? How does that even happen? And you can answer that in several ways. Uh, One would be, well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I get that. That's the work of the Spirit of God, moving them to be generous. It's also their awareness that God himself who gave his one and only son was generous toward them, gave them Christ. And because of that, out of that awareness flows generosity. But we can also answer the question this way. There was a person in their midst who made a difference. And it was Barnabas. Now, we got to go back a few verses earlier and read these words. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and he, was encouraged, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. Can we just pause there for a moment and let, let that sort of, uh, I don't know, incubate in our minds? And as I think of myself some days stretched out in a funeral home or wherever or in, in an urn and people walk by, well, wouldn't it be something to have people say something like that for you too? Wouldn't it be something? And if I could just isolate this and bring out one verse, verse 23. When he arrived, when Barnabas arrived in Antioch, he saw the evidence of God's blessing. He was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Now, just camp out for a moment on that word encouraged. He encouraged them. That's what Barnabas did. He encouraged them. Now, that should be no surprise to us because we've been studying the book of Acts Now, if we were to go back to look at uh, chapter four, the very end of chapter four, you remember the church was uh, explosive in growth. More and more people were becoming Christ followers. And as the church grew, there were more and more people in need. And so many of the believers, we read at the end of chapter four, sold some of their possessions and their property and then gave the proceeds to the apostles who would then distribute it to those in need. And at the very end of chapter 4, the, uh, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, gives us an example of this great generosity. And this is what Luke writes. For instance, for example, there was Joseph, the one, of the, uh, the, one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. There you go. His name was really Joe, but they called him Barnabas. It means son of of encouragement. Nicknames tend to attach themselves to people for a good reason. When I was a kid, they called me Dumbo. That's because my head far outsized, my ears far outsized my head. I was driving somewhere last night with my wife and I was thinking about the nickname thing. I said, remind me of your nickname in high school? She said red. I said, that's right. She has red hair. I said, wait. It wasn't just red, it was something else. She goes, okay, it was big red. So, okay. I, I watched the other day a documentary on the mafia. I'm kind of like drawn into that kind of thing, you know, documentaries and that. And uh, do you know all the mafia characters? I wrote some of these down. These are, these are so descriptive. There's Al Scarface Capone, Jake Greasy Thumb Guzik, Thomas the Toupe Bilotti, John No Nose DeFranzo, Joseph, Joey, the clown, Lombardo. I love this one. (laughs) Albert, tick-tock, Tannenbaum. When my son, son Matthew, we have three kids, one of our boys, when he was little, he's so much like me. When he was little, I called him mini-me because we were so much alike. Even today, we are so much alike. Only he's like three inches taller than I. So now, like, I'm the mini-me. uh, uh, It's like like the apostles who nicknamed him Barnabas. It's like they could nickname him no other because he was the son of encouragement. I thought, what does that mean, son of encouragement? You know, Jesus is called the son of God, which means the very likeness of God, the exact representation of God. Jesus is God. And the apostles called him Barnabas because he essentially is encouragement. Now, let's explore the word encouragement for a few moments. Tim Keller helps us out here. Um, It comes from the Greek word. Sorry, we should have transliterated this into English, but just trust me, that says parakaleo. Can you see that first letter in Greek? It's pi. You remember that from math class, right? So pi, parakaleo. And it's really two words together. And the first one is para, which means to come alongside, like to paraphrase or to parachute, or we have para words all over the place. That's sort of a tender word. It means to step into somebody's shoes. It means to get into the boat with them. It means to come alongside. It means not just to sympathize. It means to empathize. But then the other word, kaleo, that's a stronger word. It means to call or to point to truth. It's not just an arm around somebody, you can do it. It's an arm around somebody saying, you got to do this. It's pointing them to truth. It's pointing to scripture. It's pointing them to Jesus. It's like I, if I'm in a boat with somebody and they're lost, I can point them to true north. Okay, that's one thing, but it's better to say, you got to go this way. Or maybe it's taking the line of the sail to pull it in and help them pull it in. Or taking the helm in the storm, helping them to catch all the wind they can to stay in the same direction. That's what encouragement is. It's being in the boat with them, helping them out. I love this time of year. Last night, my wife and I and our daughter, we went to watch fireworks over in the Port Clinton area. It was so much fun. I love celebrating Uh, Independence Day, and what Joe read earlier, our dependence upon God, all of that, making us think about our freedom. We'll end this message with communion and the freedom that we have in Christ. That should be an encouragement to all of us. But I also think this time of year, it makes me think of the Tour de France. I know, you're all into it. Do you know it begins in July? It's on right now. I tape all of it, and I watch as much of it as I can. I can. I'm one of those road cyclists who wears spandex and a colorful shirt. I was on the road the other day, riding. This is no. I was on one of the most remote roads in Erie County. I'm riding along, and there's a guy up in front of me. I wasn't even going to tell this story, but he's a guy, an older man, who his car broke down. He has no idea how he got onto that road. And here I come, in my black spandex and my colorful cycling shirt and my funky helmet. And uh, he, he had broken down and ended up giving him a ride, not on my bike, I went and got my car, came back with the car. That would have been really weird, that would have been weird. I went and got the car, went and got the car and took him and here, here he's a gruff older man with an old hat, a veteran's hat and jeans and everything and there I am in my little outfit. My mom who's passed away, she used to call, oh, Jay, are you wearing your uniform? No, anyways. The point about the Tour de France is I love, I love cycling. I went cycling yesterday. Did like 20 miles, something like that. And just love being out in the... But there's something more than riding by myself. I like riding with somebody because they, they come alongside me. They're an encouragement to me. Years ago, I used to ride with some guys who were awesome cyclists. They were so good. And we would ride hills over in Cuyahoga Valley. And they would get up that hill so fast. You know, right... Riding a hill on a bike, your success is based upon your power-weight ratio. My problem is I don't have enough power, and I have too much weight. And we would, and those guys would get to the hill so fast, but then they come back and ride with me up the rest of the way. That's encouragement. That's coming alongside somebody, not only saying you can do it, but you've got to do it. And there's the top of the hill right there. And then we're on the flats. They ride ahead of me, cutting through the wind. I draft off of them, and they show me where the... Where the uh, Uh, Potholes are and where the roadkill is and all of that. And they they and they, they let's go this way. This is a better road to go, less traffic. And that's encouragement. Not just coming alongside, but pointing to the truth. And that's what Barnabas did. He knew how to come alongside. He knew how to listen. He knew how to be there, to empathize, to sit with them. This was Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And I wonder, in this culture now, we are in such a hurry. Do you do that? Do you do that? It's not just coming alongside. It's also the kaleo part, pointing people to truth, pointing people to Scripture. And that's what Barnabas did. He pointed them to the Lord. And that's what we're called to do, too. At the end of the day, somebody may be mixed up, confused, scared, or whatever, At the end of the day, they need to be directed to Scripture and to the Lord. That was Paul. Or that was Barnabas. Years ago, uh, at my former church, um, there was a young guy giving a message. I had never heard him speak before, but he said something that I remember to this day. And maybe you've heard it said like this, too. He defined encouragement for me. And it's simply this, to inject courage. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you love to be injected with courage? Isn't it important to inject others with courage? It's funny in our culture now, you know, vaccines are really like a hot-button issue. You really don't talk about it. Some people say yes, some people say no, some people don't care. But I'll tell you what, there's no debate when it comes to be injected, vaccinated with courage. We all want it, we all need it, and we all need to give it. And Barnabas excelled at encouraging the church coming alongside pointing them to the Lord. So <clears throat> here's our question. How are we doing at encouragement? Not talking about the church. I'm talking about people. The people God has placed in your life. Are you a parakaleo to them? To a family member? To a coworker? To a neighbor, to somebody in this church, to a perfect stranger, how are you at coming alongside somebody who needs to be injected with courage? There's a, a verse in the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom. It's, from, it's written by Solomon, this one is, and it goes like this, worry weighs a person down, An encouraging word cheers a person up. That word worry, we all know what that is. Worry is anxiety. Worry is fear. Worry is heaviness. And if not careful, we can grow right into despair. A couple weeks ago, I was with our family. We love to do outdoor things, cycling and hiking, things like that. We hiked out west, which was really fun, and we all had day packs. And in my day pack, I had some clothing, I had some food, I had some water for a longer hike. <clears throat> but I carried something else with me, not in my backpack, but in my heart in my mind. Various things I would think about from time to time, things that concerned me. Maybe moments of anxiety about something or worry about something. We're all different. You could share the same thing or maybe not. I was thinking about what we carry in our own backpacks, our metaphorically, our backpacks. So I brought one, I brought one with me. This one is filled with worries. Some of our worries... Or like this little rock. i got a test coming up. I'm scared. Or maybe like this smaller rock. i got a huge project at work I've got to do. Or maybe like this smaller rock. Oh, yeah, this one. I have to have a hard conversation with somebody. Or maybe this rock right here. How do I look today? (laughs) Worries can be little, but they can also be quite big. I'll put my little rocks over here. There are some big rocks too, some big anxieties, even where we face the reality of despair. I wrote down three, I think there are three categories I typically think of, and it's this, the unknown. I've never been there before. Is that you? I wrote down some, some samples of what this might look like. I know it's time to make a job change, but I'm afraid of what, it is, what is around the corner. I have never moved away from home, but know it is time. It is time to make a necessary change, but I don't know... What is ahead of me, and that scares me, relationally, vocationally, financially, whatever. Or I know it's time to surrender this part of my life to God, but the unknown frightens me. Or maybe it's this brick. The unfamiliar. I've never done this before. I've never lived by a budget before or been generous with my finances before. I want to share my personal story of faith in Jesus with someone, but have never done that before. I need to start reading the Bible, but've never done that before. Maybe you can think of others. This one: this represents the uncomfortable. i 've never experienced this before. Here's some possibility i've never. I've never done marriage counseling before. I've never done counseling before. I've never said no to my boss who repeatedly expects me to do unethical things. I've never prayed aloud with my wife or my kids. I struggle with saying I'm sorry and apologizing to others. For some, maybe I've never had the courage to trust that God has a plan beyond what I can see or feel, and I need to just rest in that. Maybe uh, these big rocks represent where you are right now. But right now, we're talking about being a Barnabas. Sometimes when we walk into a room, and maybe you've heard it said like this, sometimes a person can think, here I am, rather than think, here you are. As Christ followers, what if, what if we, what if we made it our goal to be like Barnabas, to be an encourager, to para, to come alongside somebody, to listen to them, to ask questions, to be interested, to step into their boat, to step into their shoes, to empathize? What if we did that? What if we, as Christ followers, decided to be More kaleo, to call people to what is true and to point them to what the Bible says and to point them to the person of Jesus. What if we did that? What if we were more like Barnabas and we looked for ways to inject people with courage and to help them carry one of these bricks? Maybe there's a person in your life right now who's struggling with a relationship. It could be. I was on the phone the other night with a young man who's been married for four years and things look risky right now. It may not last. And I challenged him. I listened to him. I came alongside, but I challenged him. Now is the time to do what is right no matter what. Not to make your marriage better, but just simply because it's the right thing to do. And I pointed him to Christ. Or maybe there's somebody in your life who is lonely and it's time just to come alongside to send a text, to be on the phone, to sit with them, to have a cup of coffee, but to ultimately remind them what Jesus said on the cross. Father, why have you forsaken me? The Father forsook Jesus so that you and I would never have to feel like we have been forsaken. That person is not alone. God is with them. Or or maybe it's somebody who's just worried about the future, and it's time to remind them that God specializes at showing up in the unknown and the uncomfortable and the unfamiliar when we step out in faith. That's our job as Christ followers, to be a Barnabas to others In the book of Romans, it's mentioned as a gift. Uh, There is such a thing as the gift of encouragement, the gift of exhortation. But that doesn't excuse those of us who are not gifted that way to to not do it. (laughs) One of my favorite words not found in Scripture is intentionality. And yet, that idea is found everywhere in Scripture. We are called to intentionally follow Christ and intentionally help point others to Christ. I want to close with the words written by a a student of a man by the name of Charles. Now, you might be thinking of Pastor Charles. This isn't about Pastor Charles, although I know Pastor Charles at this church, at this campus has been of incredible importance to you, a source of encouragement to you. He's come alongside many of you. He's sat with you and listened to you and prayed with you. But this is about a different Charles. This is written by one of his mentorees, named Katie. I want to read it to you. It goes like this. Charles changed a room simply by walking into it. He believed so completely in his many students and colleagues that we had no choice but to believe in ourselves. Isn't that something? What do you, what, what, what feeling do you, when you read that, what feeling do you get? This is a guy who walked into the room who didn't say, here I am. He walked into a room and said, there you are. And what would, what, would, what would that be like one day when Charles is there at the funeral home and people walk by or they stand up and eulogize him? My, he was an encourager. Or what was it like when Barnabas finally passed away? What was that like? As the church mourned and grieved The loss of Barnabas, what were the words that were said? But let me get right to the heart of it. What will it be like for any of us one day? May that be our challenge to begin with the end in mind. What do we want people to say? Maybe he, she was like a Barnabas to others. May we look for ways to come alongside. May we look for ways to point people to what is true. May we be an encourager too. Let's talk to the ultimate encourager who is God himself. Let's pray together. And now, God, thank you for the great privilege of coming before you, knowing that you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves through Jesus Christ. You have encouraged us that way Now help us to be encouragers of others. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.